0: Hi, my name is Matt Fernley, Editor of Battery Materials Review, and here's all the key news in the world of battery materials this month. Welcome to August edition of Recharge, the podcast by Battery Materials Review. In a sec, we'll have a recap of all the month's key news with Cormac O'Lera. But first of all, just a couple of things. First up, Cormac reminded me recently that September's recharge will be the 40th monthly edition. Hard to believe, even though there have been a few specials in there, but that stretches all the way back to the beginning of 2019. So we've decided to do something to celebrate and we'll be hosting a Q&A. If you've got any questions on batteries or battery materials that you'd like for us to answer, please email them to info at that's INFO at batterymaterialsreview.com. Please put recharge QA in the subject line so that I can differentiate it from all the spam I get. And please also send your name just in case it's not clear from your email address so that we can read it out on air. Second up, just a quick mention of the Fast Markets European Battery Raw Materials Conference in Barcelona next month. I myself will be attending and presenting. It's the only raw material focused event in Europe. And I'm looking forward to hearing from industry leaders across the supply chain. I highly recommend attending to learn about all things related to battery raw material supply, new EU regulations, ESG, and battery recycling. For listeners of the podcast, Fast Markets are offering an exclusive 15% discount with the code RECHARGE15. That's RECHARGE15. All you need to do is go to fastmarkets.com events and register for the European Battery Raw Materials Conference. See you there. Glad that's out of the way. And uh, finally, I will welcome Cormac. Hi, Cormac. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Not too bad. Good, interesting month. Lots of news for us to discuss. Let's uh, kick off with China. What have you got to tell us?
1: China? Oh. A little less action on the LFP front in China this month, a lot on uh, ternary camps, new project announcements. We have uh, joint ventures between the likes of BTO or EVE and SKON on uh, high nickel cathode projects. And um, we've seen that uh, forward again, we might discuss that a little later, yeah. making moves uh, into the nickel, into the nickel region. The ternary cathode uh, sector was a little quiet during Q2, but a little bit of pickup on capacity announcements and new projects.
0: And we saw this announcement that CATL, I think we we briefly discussed it last month, that CATL's moving into LMFP with Tesla. That's quite a, an interesting development, isn't it? Because the LMFP, a lot of people see it as the sort of future, either yeah. LMFP or LFMP depending on how much manganese you're using. But uh, I think a lot of people sort of see it as the future for LFP batteries. I'm not sure it's confirmed that it's LFMP, right? It's just
1: M3P. They've never actually said what it really is. But it could be, um, you know, LFMPs being used in in the literature anyway, in in combination with NMC. And they kind of hinted when they first came out with the M3P product six months ago, might be one of these composites, including ternary material also. But they never really define what the material is.
0: And when you talk about composites, you're talking about a composite, for instance, in one cell. So yeah, well, on the same electrode. On the same yeah. electrode, rather yeah. than mixing up. Uh, yeah, not, different... mi- not mixed cells, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's
1: the AB product I have with the uh, sodium ion. But yeah, maybe yeah. it could be, uh, I believe the M3P is a mixed chemical cathode material, but uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like you are in mix cells, LFMP with the NMC used in battery packs,
0: also. Okay, okay. And did we get to the bottom of what the raw material was for the manganese in these in these LFMP batteries? Is it high purity manganese yeah. type material, or is it sort of like a more manganese dioxide material, like they use in in NMO? Uh,
1: well, you can go both routes. This is the problem with the lfp uh movement or momentum is not a clear synthesis path that companies do that do have i haven't rooted through the patents but uh openly there's you know it's a clear production synthesis path when you make an 811 or 622 but lfmp it went from research level up straight you know catapults right up to commercial level in yeah. a pretty short period of time and uh i'm not really able to identify the uh Synthesis method. There's a you know, there's a number of synthesis methods using a number of ma- manganese precursors, and both you just you just named, and uh, and and uh, in terms of availability, the manganese dioxide is um, you know much more available. Market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking that you know that might be one of the uh, preferred routes to to scale this up in, in a short period of time. But you know, I haven't been able to nail that down.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, fingers crossed for <laughs> for HPM and um we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that uh, and, and bring you sort of updates as as we get them you touched on the ford news there so ford out this month in inverted commas securing their battery supply chain battery material supply chain i think the broad sort of reaction on this from analysts seems to be well that's great but very few of these deals are actually binding deals and what does that that actually mean? Have you got any views on that? Well, they've
1: locked up, not sure the essence of the deal, but they've locked up nickel with two large nickel producers, right? Valet and BHP. Well, um, yes,
0: on a non-binding basis.
1: Non-binding. Yeah. Where the lithium is, is not uh, with large-scale producers are, uh, you know, you have Lionstown, Ionier, Compass Minerals and, and Rio Tinto, obviously, but... Um, you know, it's a not very inspiring lockup of lithium supply there.
0: I think probably what you're you're referring to is um, none of those producers actually in production at the moment. So, um, I think Liontown is is financed for production. They're starting construction. I think Compass is under construction or, or is an an existing operation, but it's never produced lithium before. And right. then the others are development projects effectively. So, you know, there yeah, is yeah. A, a large amount of risk that they may not come into production on time. And I think that's a, that's a recurring theme in the lithium space at the moment that, that a lot of OEMs have locked up a supposed offtake agreement with assets, which yeah. are not in production at the moment. And, and that's got to be a risk.
1: In their announcement, they said they have secured 60 gigawatt hours of cells for their 2025 goal. So they have enough cells to get from today to 2025. And that is more with cell supplier than battery moral material, I
0: believe. Yeah. My feedback off the Ford release is that actually I'm not too worried that the deals are non-binding because as we discussed, a lot of them are with development assets. And it's a long way out, and, and there's a lot of time, you know, to negotiate to be, make those deals binding. What worried me most of all about the Ford release is that there's no details about what they're going to do between 2022 and 2025 to, to secure supply. Now, fine, they say they've secured cell supply, but if yeah. they haven't secured raw material supply, then they're again going to be. Reliant on market based pricing. And of course, if market based pricing goes up, that's going to impact their margins on their sales and therefore their margins on their EVs. So I think for me, that that was a risk.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, exposed. But, um, you know, say they lock up the supply to raw materials, what can Ford do with it? You know, Ford's not a battery maker yet, except for the blue oval. Uh, so this strategy of locking up battery materials and then making them available for your suppliers and your cathode makers, seems to be the strategy of the OEMs. Uh, Volkswagen and BMW have done similar things, but without the capacity of taking those raw materials and turning
0: them into cells. You know, moving on from that sort of dig at the OEMs, Elon Musk is out this, this month, or was out last month, talking about how lithium refining is a license to print money and that all entrepreneurs should be uh, should be looking at it. So are you looking at lithium refining?
1: After that announcement, there's a license to print money. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been uh, pulling out the textbooks, that dusting them off, see what we can put together. Tesla, uh, well, both Elon Musk and the chairman of CATL have both said lithium is not a problem on the uh, reserve level. Uh, it's just the bottleneck now is the refining capacity. The- I mean,
0: it's it's amazing to me that uh, Tesla has clearly been looking at the lithium space since 2019, 2020, hasn't pulled the trigger on any investments, but is trying to persuade other people to pull the trigger on investments. Now, what does that say to you? If it's if it's not good enough for Tesla to pull the trigger on? An- let's make the point i mean 1% of tesla's market value is is just under 10 billion dollars how many lithium refineries could you build with 10 billion dollars and, and i don't you know the answer is quite a lot yeah. so you're you're like sort of sitting there going well you need lithium why aren't you doing it yourselves
1: you know is it a big enough fish for them as you said it's uh, 1% of the total market cap so they're heading to be a trillion dollar company
0: but a huge yeah. amount of their costs and in terms of their profitability and their ability to be profitable on a car, if I'm buying lithium in the market at say $70 a kilogram, when I could produce it in a brine deposit at $10 a and, kilogram, yeah. you know, what does that do to my profitability? And and yes, you know, to be a lithium producer, it's not a big industry, but from the point of view of Tesla, it's a hugely important industry. So, you know, why Why is Tesla not doing that? That would be my question. And, and the answer I come to is actually, you know, even though it's a license to print money, it's a much more complex industry than perhaps Tesla is implying.
1: Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't come out with the announcement of a Tesla version of DLE that is going to revolutionize the whole market. That seems like a simple enough Problem for uh, Tesla too. Well, of course, they did come
0: out it. with the with the table salt, um, the table salt. Uh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Why bother going DLE? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: why Why bother going DLE when you can just dump a bit of table salt and, on it and uh, you know uh, produce yeah. uh, lithium from that? But yeah, I noticed yeah. that hasn't doesn't seem to have gone anywhere further forward either. So <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, you know, I think they they're acknowledging that of all their areas of expertise, this mining is is something they don't have in-house. You know, I'm not even sure if they've, I don't know of anybody they've uh, recruited in the last number of years who could address this issue for them. I think they're just tackling it in-house a little bit. Elon from South Africa, big mining country, you think you'd have a little bit of a uh, fondness for it?
0: I, I mean, I think this sort of comes back to this, this issue that we we obviously come back to again and again here is that you know Tesla's got a huge balance sheet now and it doesn't need to invest you know, it doesn't need to build its own mining assets. You know, yeah. there, there is the opportunity out there to invest in mining projects. And I don't understand why they haven't made more capital available to the industry and indeed the autos industry as a whole. And I, I mean, we had a crack at, at sort of explaining the reason for that in this issue where we talked about capital capacity and capital capacity of an industry is is defined as the amount of capital that that industry could realistically access. And we talked about the different sort of capital capacity levels for the auto industry and the cell industry compared to the raw materials industry. And I think there is a lack of understanding in the autos industry, what the capital capacity is of the raw materials industry. And I think that's a that's a, a sort of key component, but um you, you know, you, you kind of need the auto's management teams to come up the come up the understanding ladder very quickly because the longer that they don't act is the longer that they are going to be in a difficult situation in terms of profitability. The ball's in their course, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting study. I haven't seen it presented that way in the past, but um there's a lot more capital available. Uh, I think it's uh, three or four x in EV compared to uh, lithium or nickel uh, yeah. for battery. It's uh, phenomenal.
0: Yeah, let's move on to better things, and I get down off my uh, off my soapbox. Really interesting activity in the US this month with this uh, new bill going through in terms of um, promoting renewables, promoting electric vehicles. For me. The big takeaway of the electric vehicle subsidy part of the bill is in terms of the structure of the subsidies, that, that they're focusing more on on low value uh, vehicles, i.e. mass market vehicles. That's a positive from the point of view of the industry and also in terms of, of how the industry is going with smaller batteries and and smaller, lower value vehicles. Is that your take on it? What, what do you well, think? Well, I think providing tax credits
1: for trucks as well uh, I found yeah. that interesting I don't think you see that anywhere else in the world trucks less than 80,000 USD are eligible and uh, cars is at less than 35 I didn't get the number for trucks a subsidy caught my eye but um, you know that's- well
0: I, I suppose truck subsidies are a necessity in, in the US market where, where trucks is a you know is a huge component of it so it's um, cars less than 55,000 US dollars and and pickups and SUVs less than 80,000 US dollars.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, you can still get a nice car for 80, EV for 80,000.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, 55. But I, I, nice. I mean, I think oh. that's, it's particularly interesting also when you bear in mind the changes to the German subsidy regime, which were announced this month, and the, the, the changes to the German yeah. subsidy regime is effectively almost moving towards a phase out, but again, it's focusing on mass market it's focusing on smaller vehicles with smaller batteries you know and from my point of view i think that's a that's a clever it's a clever move by these governments to focus on on smaller vehicles with smaller batteries
1: well china did that almost 2 years ago now where yeah. when model yeah. 3 first entered the market and tesla were constantly adjusting their price to get under the um, the cap yeah 210000 rmb or something like that they were changing the price because the subsidy kept changing over the course of uh, the first couple of months. And and there was a bit of a game going on, but you know, they, they're known for changing, uh, adjusting the price of their cars uh, to the market anyway, but um, you have to get subsidy. Uh, So uh, yeah, good to see uh, Germany doing it. Uh, But yeah, ultimately it looks like a phase out where in China, as we predicted earlier in the year, they're extending the subsidy program there for another year, um, yeah. and we were kind of counting on the big, big buy-up towards the end of December uh, to get all the um, so for many of the Chinese consumers to uh, actually get the, <laughs> to, to get the, get the
0: last the last yeah. uh, month of uh, major subsidies. So yeah, yeah. So China pushing out the rebate on sales tax, but not the actual subsidy on on EVs. So yes, realistically expecting quite. High um, sales in the fourth quarter. I mean, fourth quarter is seasonally strong for Chinese EV sales anyway.
1: So it'll probably still be strong, but I thought we we're going to see something phenomenal. But uh, it might go out with a whimper. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to affect your uh, EV demand model, our EV sales model.
0: Well, we. I mean, we took our we took our uh, EV sales model up. This month, so um, right. not, not necessarily for this year, more for the medium term. But obviously, reacting to the um, lithium supply updates we've seen in the last sort of three or four months or so. But even yeah. having said that, I mean, you know, we're still expecting a deficit for uh, for lithium in the medium term. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see how many EVs it's possible to make and how many EVs it's possible to sell. Just coming back to the to the US. Bill. Yeah. I think the other, the other factor that's very, very important is they're looking to lock in, obviously, their own supply chain. And a lot of the sort of journalist reaction I've seen initially has been saying, well, there's no US raw materials supply chain. But I think that avoids or or, or ignores the key part of that, which is includes companies with a trade agreement with the US. So, of course, that brings in Australia and Canada on the raw material side. And I think that is that is absolutely key because we yeah. do have developing very exciting sort of supply chain in Canada and an yeah. existing supply chain in right. Australia. So I think, you know, from the point of view of the US, I'm not worried about their ability to access raw materials from countries that they have a trading agreement with, and obviously there's a lot of you know cell manufacturing capacity going on in the U.S. itself. So I actually think this this looks like a very very interesting bill act for the U.S.
1: Yeah, it's clear that the U.S. is going to rely on uh, companies got free trade agreements. North America, Canada, Mexico, even for battery manufacturing, looks like nearshoring and uh, this new term I came across, friend shoring would be included in the domestic supply chain. No. So.
0: friends eh? That, that, you heard that, that one? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so countries like Indonesia, Japan, they fall underneath this.
0: I think that makes the act a lot more a lot more viable and, and maybe it was actually worth waiting to, to get an act that is more friendly for industry and, and for the consumer than the initial version. So, yeah. yeah quite excited the, uh, about yeah. that. I think it should be a, a good move for our industry.
1: The subsidy uh, timelines are quite aggressive for uh, 40% US materials, uh, battery materials sourced to 2029, whereas uh, 100% the uh, manufacturing and materials from the, uh, I don't know if you can call it the domestic supply chain, whatever the supply chain is going to look like, French or near shoring, free the, trade. The, the friendly
0: supply, supply yeah,
1: chain. Yeah, go friendly, Yeah. <laughs> But uh, you know I, I did sense in the industry is a worry whether the EV sales will be what they're expected to be if uh, these if we can't get 40 percent in by is it 2024 and moving forward uh, as the ratio increases from. US domestic supply chain
0: yeah well I mean the EU has a similar reliance in place but obviously the EU act is much more EU centric it, it doesn't talk about sort of other friendly, countries and I increasingly feel that the the EU legislation looks quite unrealistic given the failure really to get any major raw material projects away in the EU yeah, so yeah. part of the EU any time in the last three years so um, I, I think this this us act looks much more realistic for the world today
1: yeah you could do a lot with the uh, inflation reduction act you know the tax incentives are are quite favourable, but is it enough to get a self-standing industry? Leaves a little bit up to debate. It's a very fine margin, I think. The uh, the kind of numbers they're throwing around.
0: I, I think we will see, and I think the other fact of which we have not discussed, uh, which possibly goes slightly outside the auspices of this call, but is obviously the the, the macroeconomic condition of of the US and the world, particularly with the the energy crisis and and the rising interest rate environments and i guess that that is a big sort of unknown yeah um, in terms of how that will impact ev demand as well yeah yeah i could really um uh, throw a, a spanner in the
1: works yeah uh, you know what's your priority right now producing evs making sure people are fed you know it could go could yeah. go uh over the next five years uh especially in us obviously as you said it's uh
0: Well, actually, I would say, I mean, I think it's it's less, I want to say, less severe, but I think it's less severe in the U.S. than it is in Europe. Um, You know, I'm particularly worried about Europe with this um, reliance that Europe's had on Russian gas, and I think uh, I think that Europe is is heading into a very difficult one, two, maybe three years. It's going to be a very, very difficult time economically and socially for Europe. I, I think the U.S. is a little bit more insulated, given that it is such a big producer of gas and, and oil, and Canada as well. But obviously, yeah. the high interest rates environment is going to be very, very difficult for, for consumers and, and really the people on the street. So we'll have to see what what comes out of that. Moving away from a slightly thorny topic then, and just sort of uh, talk a little bit about uh, China, some really interesting news on the energy stationary storage front. Just locked in a, a, a data set of China ESS production numbers, and we're seeing quite a significant increase in Chinese ESS cell production in the last couple of months. What are you hearing from your contacts on that?
1: It's a nice set of data you have having to more there. That is um, that's quite interesting. It's a significant jump in uh, battery energy storage cell manufacturing. This area has been under a lot of pre- uh, much more pressure uh, than the EV uh, sector in terms of actually getting your hands on cells. And yeah. um, so the tier two suppliers in China are tier one suppliers are got their hands full with uh, manufacturing EV batteries. And there's an opportunity for the tier two uh, suppliers to, to uh, sign agreements or, or deep pocketed well-known energy firms around the world. And And these,
0: sorry to interrupt, these are mostly LFP suppliers, aren't
1: they? China just mandated recently for China that uh, all energy storage will shift over, not all, uh, LFP and other technologies, but not uh, Not uh, sidelining NMC. And as a result, I think the Chinese will be predominantly shipping LFP to their customers. And and the American in general, Mbess is uh, shifting towards LFP because until quite recently, the LFP, they more or less had it all to themselves. But now the EV market's also shifting and hoovering up the LFP su- supply. But there's a lot of additional LFP coming into the market. But uh, yeah, the, the tier, we're seeing a lot of tier two, tier three companies who are benefiting from in the industry. There's a lot of c- canceled supply agreements, a lot of force de, de majeure, forced to majeure. And it gives the opposite. to these companies now get to perfect the technology, invest in uh, high-tech battery production lines. Because the quality demanded by the international customers in the BEST industry is extremely high, basically in BEST now, after all the events over the last two years, you really can't have a thermal event. The Chinese producers put in significant capital into the production lines, quality, and they're making very good good sales. so, so while the sleeping giants uh, were uh, addressing the EV market, we're seeing a number of these tier two, tier three double their capacity, and I think that's what we're seeing.
0: That's interesting, and and I mean the best capacity it has to be less sort of all singing, all dancing than the than the EV cells, doesn't it? It, it just needs to be a, a good solid battery. Safety
1: is utmost. There's been a number of events recently, Tesla in Australia. We we don't have to go through what LG had in yeah. Korea. The chemistries are different. Uh, it's LFP. The capacity, the performance of the actual LFP material is, is slightly different to the EV requirements, which are you know high power, high, uh, high uh, charging speed, and uh, so you, you make the particles different, and um, at, at best as a, a different price, and uh, you know the materials are priced differently, and not you really used interchangeably.
0: Great. I think we will call it a day there. And uh, I will say thank you very much to Cormac. And uh, we look forward to talking on, on next month's edition where we will be doing some Q&A as well as our recap of, of the month. So I'll uh, say thanks very much, to Cormac, and look forward to talking to you next month.
1: Take care, Matt. Talk to you next month.
0: So that brings us to the end of our podcast for August. Please don't forget to send your questions on the industry by the end of August to info at batterymaterialsreview.com with podcast Q&A in the subject line. As always, you can get more detail on any of the topics we've discussed in the latest issue of Battery Materials Review, which you can find at www.batterymaterialsreview.com. I'm Matt Fernley, Editor of Battery Materials Review, and this has been Recharge. Thanks for listening.